It's been over a year now since In The Key of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. This episode contains content that some listeners may find distressing. We're going to go down the Buxos rabbit hole. (laughs) Well, and and we all do it. I mean, we just got to, you know, call this what it is, you know, and just own this um, Buxos. The Buxos shame. I don't know. Hello, this is Dan Hall. I love popular music and have spent most of my life translating heteronormative content into my gay experience. But I think it's time I stopped translating. And so in this podcast, I'm speaking with musicians from around the world who mirror and inspire my queer journey. Welcome to In the Key of Q. Today, I welcome a musician who describes his sound somewhat tantalizingly as torch-song electropop for the darker soul. Aaron Duval, welcome to In the Key of Q. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Where did that description come from? Um, well, it was me and my bandmates. We, we, you know, I'm I, I probably going to describe, we were just sort of lounging around some drinking cocktails and just being a little bit bored and just sort of, you know, but, yeah, but it was just sort of, just sort of, you know, just what mates just sort of put together. We just sort of like, it just seemed like a nice description. The stuff that we were writing, um, um, the, the musical side of it was, it's more, um, I'm going to say fun, whereas my lyrics are not so fun. And it was quite nice to put those two together and see what comes through with that. And that's just kind of where we where we got to. Um, and, you know, we came up with the name Furiku, which means freak in Japanese. And I kind of like that as well. I quite like, like the idea of these bored Japanese teenage girls just sitting around, just sort of waiting for something decent on the radio to come on and just, just like, and describes their dark, miserable lives. And I, I don't know, it just, just kind of ticked a lot of boxes for me. <laughs> Because there is a lovely mood to your music, it has a delicious filth about it. That's it. It was. It was. It's all. It's all very eighties based. Um, it's all you know, a bit tongue in cheek, and you know, it's not really meant for you know PG audience. And uh, you know, we can talk about grown up things. Why not? And you know, and we can have fun with it. Yeah, my parents had a lot of vinyls and, and tapes and I sort of, you know, as I got into music, I, I, I very much devoured all of that and got myself into trouble all the time playing playing my dad's vinyls. Um, you know, and, I, and getting into things, I don't know, Roberta, Roberta Flack um, and even Boney M. And, and I, just, I just thought it was all just, you know, my, 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 my parents' taste of music was... was um, was quite varied, but although similar, they, they were both they were both more Rolling Stones than Beatles, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. So, my my mother would agree with them very much. She always says uh, that she's a Rolling Stones girl. She says yeah. the Beatles were a little bit too clean. Exactly. Yeah, but you know, as uh, you know, now of course I look back and, and I'm just like, oh, oh, actually, even although as a younger person, the Rolling Stones is much more fun. But as an older person, uh, well, the Beatles are far more superior. I'm sorry, they are. And you get to a certain age when you realise. Are the Beatles better? And you sort of drill into that and you start listening to their back catalogue and you're like, wow, this is 
really, really amazing, impressive stuff. And when you start drilling into it a bit more and you just always assume it's the John Lennon stuff, which is absolutely fantastic. But when I go through it and say, well, actually, these, these are, and like, oh, these are Paul McCartney tracks. Didn't see that coming. It's always very empowering, that moment in your life when you start to drill into music and start to realize, <laughs> oh, I, I actually like this or dislike this independently. I know lots of people are saying ABC, but in fact, I'm going, you know, X, Y, Z. Absolutely. Absolutely. And your musical tastes change over the years. Um, you know, I mean, I, 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 you know, I love listening to, you know, old box fizz records, but, you know, that's not my musical taste now. I enjoy listening to it because it invokes what that meant to me as a, 10 year old 11 year old or whatever it was uh then but you know it's not the kind of music i would listen to if that if that was new music today it, it would it would pass me by now i'm glad you brought up bugs for as 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 i as i raised it i was like mm, we, we've perhaps gone down the, we're going down the wrong rabbit hole here let's see where rabbit. this goes <laughs> <laughs> We've started, so we'll finish. But you know, my my Bucks Frizz fanboyness is supported by the fact that I managed to get my friend Stephen into into them. You know, and he is a good proper journalist. He's a muso, and he you know he only likes his really hardcore Pet Shop Boys songs that are mm-hmm. on, in really difficult keys. And he's, <laughs> he's like super grown up, and, and I force-fed him some Bugs Frizz. And I think it's fair to say that he resented it and didn't really want to do it. And then suddenly, you know, 20 minutes later, I got a text back yeah. with him saying, oh my god, Cold War extended version is stunning. <laughs> and then he fell down the hole. Well, and, and we all do it. I mean, we just got to, you know, call this what it is, you know, and just own this um, box fears. <laughs> the box fears shame. I don't know what we want to call it. That's, that sounds like an advanced cocktail, doesn't it? Um, the, the, you know, you know, like Cameron never lies. Uh, 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 can't stand the heat when we were young. I mean, the production of those were just so good, and it was, you know, and, and it wasn't this throwaway bubblegum pop that they came across as on television. You know, when you listen to, and even now, you, those records I think stand up today uh, in terms of their production. Absolutely. And the excellent songwriting team that they were a part of, their songs were being pinched by other artists, weren't they? I mean, people right, like Tina right. Turner and That's Cher. It, yeah. You know, and <laughs> the strongest of the species survives. So what can we say <laughs> about that? <laughs> so well done, Cher and Tina. <laughs> Bugs has made them what they are today. Ladies <laughs> dusted <laughs> This podcast is very much about queer identity. Did you find music helped you start to find that within yourself? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. It was it was absolutely the saviour. I mean, this could have gone to a very dark place if it wasn't for the savior of music. And I guess I guess most kids are going to say that. Most queer boys, you know, growing up around that period where it all starts getting a bit confusing and dark and just like, well, so where are we now? So 1981, I'm about 10. And my first real eye-opener to that sort of queer music and and, and say, I'm, I'm going to call him a savior, it's Mark Holman. Um, you know, watching Soft Cell do that performance on Top of the Pops, uh, Tainted Love. And, and it was... 
uh, you know, when people talk about that moment, they want to hide behind the sofa and Doctor Who. It was like that for me. Uh, it was just, it was just so overwhelming. It was, it was. Uh, I hadn't seen anything like it before, and and it was, it was just sort of. I was terrified and fascinated at the same time. He was just smirking in the camera, and he was, it was kind of knowing. You know, he wasn't singing to a girl. He wasn't singing to a boy. Um, it, it was, it was just, it was just androgynous. It was just otherworldly, and I, I, I hadn't really seen anything like that. I know there's obviously there's there's lots of examples of that before them, mm-hmm. but. I'm 10 at this point and I hadn't seen anything like that. And there was, I seem to remember there was like echoes of, slight echoes of s wasn't there? Because you had like a leather cap on, didn't you? There some chains or slight yeah, chains. Yeah, or... Yes, it was, it was all in black and the, 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 and the black eyeliner wasn't wasn't as neat as as what you'd get in, in, in spandau ballet. And, and it was just, it was just, it was just dirty. And it was just, it was just very appealing. <laughs> I just loved it. I mean, now we listen to Tainted Love and it's such a classic song. It's just part of our culture. It's just, it's just, it is, it is what it is. But then it was just like, it was just so new and fresh. I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, because Top of the Pops was completely mixed genre, wasn't it? It was, it was probably the most powerful music program in the country. And yeah, and you literally could have a piece of bubblegum pop and then you would suddenly cut to the Smiths. Yeah. And it was the time when the charts were interesting and and they and Top of the Pots played whatever was in the charts or whatever was climbing. And it could be, as you say, of any any genre. And charts would be, you know, you'd, you'd follow these and sort of something would land in at number 35 and then it goes up a couple of slots and then it jumps 20 and that's a real big deal it was almost like a sport it was the closest thing i got to yeah. a sport was following my artists up and down mm-hmm. and i'd be heartbroken exactly. when you know the charts would come out and you'd be like and down yeah. two places and you'd be like no <laughs> I'm reminded of a, a time at school um, and I kind of like sort of had gone into myself a little bit and sort of not really sort of engaging too much in the world. And I just remember this boy in class walking around and he's doing some sort of survey like, do you prefer madness or wham? I, I mean, where the teacher was during all this, I, I don't know. Um, so and he came over to my desk and I just sort of waved you know, dismissively, just like wham. And the whole room, the whole classroom just fell silent. I was like, oh, shit. And I looked up and I, it occurred to me that every girl said wham and every boy said madness. And I was like, oh, that's kind of my first coming out of sorts and um, didn't see that coming. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to go down to the root of the, the bullying because you know, bullying did start after that. But it, but the, yeah, the, the, it was that it was it was music that accidentally I came out. By choosing the joyful tunes of Georgia Andrew. <laughs> and then Prince came along and you know, it wasn't just the music. Is it, I mean, even though the music was like nothing I'd ever heard before, it was the look. It was he was wearing high heels. He was androgynous, and this whole "fuck you" attitude, and I absolutely fucking loved it. And I and it made me feel special. And you know, as a thirteen-year-old, uh, you know, and there's and there's a lot going on in the, in a thirteen-year-old, and it just made me feel 
yeah, as I say, it just made me feel special. And it's a really powerful moment to have that escapism from the general horrors of, of, of teenage years. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's life-saving and, and, and having that music that you can go into. I remember that first experience with buying Madonna's Like a Virgin album. And I got into Madonna just literally weeks before True Blue came out. And right. I'd gone out and bought this LP. And before I'd even played it, I had such a strange sense of identity. And, and I really, it was the first time I'd realized that music can provide you in a way with an emotional outfit. Right. And, yeah. and it's that importance yeah. of putting a name to something or an identity yeah. to something. Yeah, and, and you mentioned tribes earlier, and and that's what it felt like there. I mean, even though at school, no no one liked Prince, but that made it even more special for me because, like, I do, and I found my people, you know, and it just felt really empowering. And and and, and as I, you know, and 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 it, and it reminds me of the Bowie lyric, um, "Oh no, love, you're not alone," and and that really it really resonates with you to know that there's other people like you out there, and you, and you might be in some you know, backwater town in some crappy school with some crappy experience is going on. And then you've got that. And, oh, and of course, by this point, I mean, I haven't even discovered David Bowie yet. So, you know, we've got all of that mind fuck to come. So hang on, what, how did you discover Bowie? And what was that moment like? <laughs> oh, it was years later. I, I, I always feel embarrassed to say it. Um, so when was Let's Dance? That was 82, maybe 82, 83. Um, and... I don't know if you remember the look. The look was 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 you know very sharp suits, and, he, mm. and it's, it's it's about the most quite loose um, fitting suits, weren't they? Kind of linen-y type things, and yeah, yeah, not quite zoot suits, but you know, but it was it was it was just it just looked so handsome, and it was the most. I don't want to use the word normal because you, describing Bowie as normal is is obviously a sin, um, but it is it's it's the most mainstream most most mm. that he's ever looked and so i didn't really even though i loved the record i loved let's dance and i loved um uh, the album um and uh, my brother had the, the the vinyl we used to play it all the time but i didn't really know all this history that was behind it, it was many many years later before i i realized there was this massive back catalog and just how queer it is and it was like there's there's why did no one tell me about this sooner <laughs> It's both wonderful and also infuriating, isn't it? When you discover something from the past and you sort of feel like yeah. saying to the world around you, do none of you see me? Did none of you think to say <laughs> and tell me about this? Yeah, or worse still, have you heard about this fellow called David Bowie? He's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, you've just broken a memory of mine. I remember getting into a musical disagreement with my mother where I tried to convince her that Jason Donovan's second album was better than the Beatles. I'm just with, oh my God, poor woman. That makes me excited Awaken you To my devices If you don't mind the trouble You can double you mean So join me in the bubble Of the magic fantasy Hey, this is John from the Song Surfing Podcast. Song Surfing is a playlist of independent music pulled from the far reaches of the internet. 
I've been searching for music on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Spotify, Slaps, Audius, Instagram, and a few others. And in each episode of Song Surfing, I present some excellent tunes by a diverse group of interesting independent artists. So if you like to discover new artists and explore some music from around the world, then come Song Surfing with me. Song Surfing is available on all podcast apps, as well as Spotify and Amazon. Doing the maths, uh, it it comes clear to me that you were becoming a, a young adult at a time when it was not a fun time to be a gay man in the United Kingdom or possibly in the world. Watching it to sin in the recent weeks has been a bit of, no, 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 not an eye opener, but just a, a, a memory. So, so it was, and I'm quite surprised how locked down that memory has been. Aaron, for those who haven't seen it yet, could you explain what It's a Sin is? Um, so it is a drama about five kids that come from uh, different backgrounds, different parts of the country, and they all come together in London, and it's at the dawn of AIDS. And these kids are grappling with that this is happening. Because we lived through it, and because one didn't really know any different, it just seemed, well, that's how it is, isn't it? It's just like, well, if you don't know any different, well, what, 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 what's, what's, what's the, what, you know, it is what it is. And now looking back at it, you're just like, that's just awful. It was so traumatic that, that, that we as a, a community went through that. I, I certainly wasn't sure whether to watch it or not. I, I think Russell T. Davis's writing is stunning. I absolutely love it. But oh, I genius. wasn't sure what I would get out of watching it. Right. Um, and, 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 I, and I know some people that, that aren't ready to watch it. They're not in the headspace to watch it. And that absolutely breaks my heart that... I mean that is PTSD. That, that you know they just they just know what the ending is, and and they mm-hmm. they're not they they you know I, I must admit when I when I started watching, I didn't really quite know where it was going to go, um, and, and obviously no spoilers for anybody that hasn't watched it. It did go there, and you're like, oh okay, yeah. I th- I for me, I think it's one of the best dramas I've seen on TV, um, probably since Six Feet Under. Um, it, it is it is the quality of it is just stellar. little number about a boy's HIV diagnosis um, so it's um, about a boy that, 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 that goes traveling the world and you know it's all full of adventures everything's fine and lovely and, uh, and bright lights and on the return journey that's when the diagnosis gets called in and the boy is like huh what do we do now do we do we go home with this what do we do where do we go these diagnoses used to come with not only, obviously, a potential risk to one's own physical health, but in fact, on top of that, a crushing disapproval and prejudice from the outside communities, from the rest of the world, yeah. as if, you know, the threat to one's own health wasn't enough for you to worry about. You had all this other nonsense 
you know, we've come a long, long way. Um, you know, you know, marriage equality, um, you know, uh, uh, equal age of consent, and you know all these uh, uh, all these legal uh, uh, barriers that we've knocked down. But there's still that stigma today about HIV, and it's and it's Absolutely. and it's curious why that why that's there. So so yeah, so that's what the song's about: having that diagnosis and just going shit what, what now what does this mean and trying to unpack it all oh brother feel the head pressure on floor 69 waiting for my ears to pop oh brother this is dead pleasure and I saw the line who is when where why what the fuck my space was um uh, I, I, I guess it was even before Facebook and and, and all that, wasn't it? So, so yeah, it was an on, 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 online music platform. It was it was social media for music. So you can go and find um, uh, independent music bands uh, or, or or even uh, established bands. And it was just a really nice way of connecting the world mm-hmm. and uh, in different musics. And and you know, for, for, for us, we you know we 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 made. Friend, I'm putting that in quote friends because I've never met any of these people or, or not many of them. You know, sort of other artists from you know Berlin, New York, Tokyo, Sydney, and and even collaborated with these people without even meeting them and making music with these. And it was just it was there was so much creativity because there was a lot of noise going on in with record labels about the you know the, the unfairness of it and people signing really shit contracts and but Blondie, you know, I mean, they turned out to be broke because they signed some crap deal. I was like. Well, how can Blonde TV broke? You know, they're yeah. one of the most successful rock bands in history. And how does that work? So, so it felt like this refreshing new thing to get away from this mothership of corporate record labels. And it felt like this was very much the future. And we were racking up, you know, hundreds of thousands of plays across the records, that, the, the songs that we were posting up there. And it was just just incredible and we were quasi pop stars i guess um we were putting the music out there and we were sticking it to the man and what killed that it, it became quite naff quite quickly it did actually feel like a come down because you know the rise of it and the success of it and the, the stuff that we were really enjoying uh, and then it just sort of you know as i say it just felt like this this come down and all the magic had gone all the creativity um uh, it just sort of like left the room and it was just like yeah okay fine let's go offline Your album has a has a, a huge variety of different subjects. It's 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 about all sorts of things, and and one of the most challenging songs you have is about Jody Dabrowski, who was involved in an incident in South London in two thousand and five. Uh, we're going to hear first of all a clip of the song. Yeah, um, as you say, about Jody, he was 24, I think, um, and he worked at a bar here in Clapham, walking home, and um, yeah, basically got kicked to death on Clapham Common, and I know it affected a lot of us. The the, the incident, the crime, is just so unspeakably horrible and horrific and it just seemed really shocking that it happened then 
and on our doorstep, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, it, it, that was another factor. Um, and it really, really, really upset me, as, as I know, did a lot of people. And so I wrote this, the song the following day, following morning, I think. I tried to imagine the, the, the perhaps the split second from the brutality, the pain of it to the point of dying. Was there a moment where, I don't know, the angels came down to, to tell him it's okay, put their wings around him and, and, and take him away? Um, <laughs> sorry. And um, <clears throat> well, I just wanted him to know that, you know, there is love out there. There are more of us than there are of them. It's beautiful, feel my love Let me take you higher To paradise above There's a new world for us Where love is a must come closer I think one of the values of queer visibility is not only allowing us not to feel alone and seeing ourselves reflected back, but I think there's also an element of stopping non-queer people feeling so frightened of us when they can just right. see us as normal people. Yeah, that's just, yeah, exactly. So, that, yeah, that thing, the, the story of Jody is just like, well, so what about just, just let this kid go about his business, go home after he's had a hard shift wherever he works, or will I kick him to death? How does that brain function that that's even a, 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 a question? What do you think your 15-year-old self would think of the music that you've created? Ooh, good question. Um, gosh, so this is, <laughs> this is 50-year-old Aaron talking to 15-year-old Aaron. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> um, uh, what would I say? I, I, I think say, don't, don't give up. Don't give up so easily. Put yourself out there. Don't be uh, afraid. You know, you're a darn good songwriter. Go get him, kid. And would he like the album, do you think? No. <laughs> do you think he'd understand it? No, definitely not. <laughs> it was just as well he was pretty, because he wasn't very smart. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the main ambitions of this podcast is to introduce people to queer music that they might not have heard before. And I think often one of the best ways to introduce someone to an artist is to have a sort of gateway drug into their catalog. You know, that one mm. song that's going to lure people into the, to your mood and your whole feel and your sound. Out of your songs, what do you think would be the best gateway track? I'm going to go with Go Go. Um, the, 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 we, we've, talked, <laughs> we've talked about quite a few of the songs that, that have some sort of dark meaning. Uh, and I think yeah, Go-Go is a good gateway drug because it's just a bit of fun. And I love it. And, and, and actually, it was, it, was, it was actually the first track that we recorded thinking about it. So yeah, that, that, that uh, makes sense to be my gateway song. Excuse me, sir.
Aaron Duval, it's been absolutely lovely to have you on In the Key of Q. And uh, thank you for not deleting your album off the streaming oh. platforms. Keep it on there, darling. Thank you so much for having me. And can I just say, excellent title to the podcast. Top notch. Well done, you. I love you. Thank you very much, sweetie. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this episode, please consult the show notes for support links. Please do rate and review this podcast on your podcast provider. It'll really help other people find it. You can support the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash in the key of Q. Of course, it's always lovely to hear your thoughts and ideas and maybe future guests for the show. You can reach out on all the usual social media platforms or email me directly on dan at inthekeyofq.com. It'll be great to hear from you. Our theme music is by Pauline Edu at unstoppablemonsters.com. Big thanks to Kajun Kantha and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. I'm Dan Hall and this podcast is made at Pup Media Consultancy. See you next Tuesday. Next time on In the Key of Q. Treating uh, sexuality as something that you kind of carry along with you that's undesirable, that you're trying to detach from, um, just only ever seemed to produce really rotten fruit in my life. That's Blake Mundell. Next time on In the Key of Q.